Blog Talk Radio. Hello everyone, this is MK Killen and Kelly Haberstrom here with Tap Integrator Olean. We're here with Representatives Sam Coppersmith and Dan Miller. How are you guys today? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little chilly. We've had some snow here in late April. So Coppersmith and Miller are visiting St. Bonaventure University as part of the Congress to Campus program. The Congress to Campus program is designed to increase civic literacy and participation by bringing together former members of Congress and college students. So I'll start with you, Sam. Why do you think it's important for programs like this on college campuses? Well, what we hope to do is uh, uh, if somehow uh, it's a different type of learning, uh, that we're the non-textbook type and you can ask us questions and, and we respond, uh, but the point of the program is to talk to, to college students about public service. Um, public service is a lot larger than just politics, but uh, particularly when we're talking to political science students, they're interested sort of in what cause, in what got our political career, what things were like. We, we, we can bring the anecdotes, mm -hmm. but we hope to leave the students we're talking to with an appreciation for public service and how much how much our country, our communities in our country needs your generation to step up and to become leaders. Excellent. And Dan, what do you hope students get out of this experience? Well, part of the thing we try to accomplish is bridging the gap between academia and the real world of politics. And that's something that's true whether it's in medical school or journalism school or such, is get people that have been in politics. And so, that, first of all, to see that we get along. I mean, the image on television is Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats. But they're really, they're all real people and they're all pretty much you know, agreeable people, it's just that they have some different political opinions. and so. But you can get along, so it's not as evil as it's pictured on television where people scream and yell at each other. That's not the real life. So I think part of it is just showing that you can get along and communicate. That's excellent. I think that's something we need to hear, especially in the current climate. Okay, so this question both of you can chime in for. What do you suggest that students do to become more engaged in politics? Get involved in political campaigns for one thing. And, um, and so it's, you have a lot of camp races. In my area of Florida, we have mosquito control races even. I mean, you don't have you don't elect people for mosquito control here. But you have school board I'm races. I'm thoroughly anti-mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you, there are races for city council or the state legislature. State legislature is probably the more interesting one, uh, especially when there's an open seat that nobody's running. So one of the things to do is to get involved and when people have town hall meetings, go to town hall meetings. Hopefully they're either a local person or the congressperson in the area will have a town hall meeting. Just go to a town hall meeting and sit back there and listen to what people have to say. It's very educational to go to a town hall meeting. It's not always educational being the one standing up in front of people, but get involved by participating in campaigns or town hall meetings. And just always keep in the back of your mind that maybe you get one time will get in politics. I decided later in life to get in politics never ran for anything to it. So you don't have to get started right away. It's always something you can do 20, 30 years from now. I'd agree with Dan. Uh, they're, they're, uh, when you're coming right out of school or you're a student, it's highly unlikely you'll, you'll get hired by a U.S. Senate or a presidential campaign. You just have to remember on the uh, political food chain you're the uh, uh, legislative equivalent of plankton. Um, but there are a lot of local races that People are just starving for volunteers. And if uh, you're curious about what it's like, that's in fact how I got started. 
Um, I had lived in Phoenix for all of a year, and I volunteered for a campaign of a friend of a friend who was running for mayor of Phoenix, and I was, I was made the director of advance, which sounds really impressive. What it means is my car was less than two years old, and I was responsible for driving the guy around from event to event. Um, that's a, it turned out to be a challenging job because uh, getting Terry to a place on time was a, a big effort uh, required. But I was new to Phoenix, uh, and I am sitting with the guy who became mayor of Phoenix, and we're in cars by ourselves for long stretches. Uh, this is before cell phones, so it's either me or the radio. And I got to ask all sorts of questions about Phoenix, who, you know, history, uh, his family history, what he wanted to do as mayor. It, it was an amazing education for me in what my community was like. So uh, a city council person, a school district race, something like that, people aren't knocking down their doors to volunteer. It'll teach you about politics. Now, it took me about 20 years after that experience to want to run for office myself, but still, it was a very useful, uh, very useful and educational thing to do. So both of you talked about getting into politics later in life, and I just want to ask, what were the experiences earlier in your life that really affected that decision to become involved in uh, politics? Well, let me start. I actually came from a, a political family. My, my father uh, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Um, and so I learned politics in Cambria County, Pennsylvania, which is a lot like learning how to drive in Boston. You're just amazed how many times a day you're not killed. And um, he had been a state senator in the Pennsylvania State Senate. So I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and hand out matches at the Mill Gates. The campaigning was pretty low-tech in Johnstown back in those days. And so I was aware of politics, but um, I, um, when I graduated high school, I left home and wanted to strike out on my own, worked overseas for two years with the uh, U.S. State Department, and um, decided, to go to, uh, decided to go to Phoenix in part because I came from a town where in 11th grade, my history teacher kept calling me Lou because he'd had my dad, so I didn't want any part of that. So uh, I struck out for the big city far away. Um, but I was aware of politics and had followed things. I had been very interested in, in politics, uh, read all sorts of newspapers, loved the, both the, the substance and the tactics. Um, and then when the time came, I had worked on enough campaigns and knew enough people that when Arizona picked up a new congressional seat and no Democrats seemed to recognize that it was a winnable seat, uh, people were willing to help me. In my case, uh, my first career was as a college professor. I taught at Georgia State University for five years. But then I moved back to Florida where my family was in the development business. So my brother and I became business partners in developing projects. So we had a restaurant and a marina and some office buildings and some uh, industrial park property and such. And, and so uh, for 20 years, uh, as a developer, I was involved in the community. And I served on a lot of boards and got really involved with the Chamber of Commerce or hospital or mental health or the symphony or marine research. Uh, I was involved in these. And uh, part of being involved in these nonprofits and as a developer, you had to deal with the local government whether it's the city council or the county commission. On a regular basis, I was dealing with them, you know, whether it's extending the lease for the Manatee Players Community Theater to extend their lease for the city council or getting some land rezoned for an industrial park or something. And so I was really involved in the community, and so it was really community service that got me involved in this. And I thought that Congress is kind of community service. 
it, it was a public service and it's a paid full-time job. It's different from being on the board of the hospital, which is a volunteer job. So community service is what really got me involved in it and working with local governments as a, as a volunteer member of these boards or as a developer where you had to deal with the county commission and the city council got me prepared. All right, and then my next question is, what is a lesson that you've learned or what you can take away from your time in Congress? That you can have an impact. And uh, the way Congress works, I was, when I first got there, uh, and we got elected the same year, the Democrats totally controlled the system. I mean, Bill Clinton was president, the Democrats had the House and Senate. And I felt like a potted plant my first two years because you really couldn't do anything. I mean, it's just so, the, the minority is so irrelevant in the House more so than the Senate. It was very frustrating. But actually it was good for me because it was a learning curve for me. My first two years, all I had to do was vote no, go home, and complain. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Republicans took control of the House, and uh, Newt Gingrich became Speaker, and you know, all of a sudden could start doing some things. Like, I, my big goal was have, you know, trying to get to a balanced budget. Well, we did. I mean, not one person can take credit for the balanced budget that we got. We had a surplus for four years. Bill Clinton was president, but it was John Kasich was our uh, chairman of the, pro the budget committee with when I was on it. Uh, he did a lot of things to push that way. Then I got on the Appropriation Committee, and all of a sudden you start helping on little issues that you could you know, push this issue or push that little issue. So you can have an impact, especially if you get into the majority. It's very frustrating being in the minority uh, in, in the House of Representatives. I'd agree with Dan in that it's, it's an opportunity, if you use it wisely, to, to do things that make people's lives better, which is the whole point of public service. But I'd also say I think there's a political lesson, which is that uh, people and candidates overestimate how much impact they can have on events. Uh, in politics, you're, you're a pretty small little boat that's on a pretty wide sea. And so much of what you're able to do in politics depends upon circumstances around you, what kind of a year it is. Um, I was elected in 92, in a year when Democrats really overperformed in Arizona, because uh, there was a, a, a referendum on the ballot for a paid holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King that had to pass if Arizona was going to get a Super Bowl. So the downtown business community had to pay for turnout of voters who would vote yes for Dr. King. And the way the Arizona ballot was uh, constructed in my district is you had to go through me to vote yes on Dr. King. And those were my people. I got to go to Congress thanks to the National Football League. <laughs> and then the next election, I was the uh, Democratic Senate nominee for an open Senate seat in 1994. But that was a Republican way of election, and there wasn't really anything you could do as a Democrat. The good news I take from that is I didn't have to take it personally. Um, but the lesson I think you need, I need to tell candidates is you are what, who you are and what you stand for and what you're saying really only matters on the margin. You'll never be able to meet everybody in your district and you just have to hope you pick the right year. It's better, it, it, in politics, it's much better to have a sense of timing than it is to be able to be glib or memorize all the answers or, or know what you're doing. You have to have a sense of modesty about your ability to affect events. To go off of that, was there anything that you wanted to accomplish while you were in office? Like, 
specifically, like going into it, was there anything that you knew that you wanted to try and do? Uh, yes, I mean, it's something I wanted to see if I could play a role in, in improving the healthcare system. That proved to be impossible. That was settled far, you know, above my my pay grade. Um, but uh, I was proud about. It. I wanted to do things for. Uh, the district, which most people hadn't realized, and people have a stereotypical vision of Arizona as sort of wide open spaces and swaros and horseback, and, um, and those are those parts of the state. But my district was very urban, uh, and it was anchored around Arizona State University, and so technology and transportation and aviation were hugely important, uh, much more so than climate, copper, citrus, and, and cattle. Uh, so to try and improve on those things. Um, and, um, you know, even Dan helped, I think, vote the right way on one. Uh, uh, I took up as a cause ending the Advanced Liquid Metal Reactor Program, which was a, a, a program in the energy budget that um, it, it created a type of breeder reactor that took spent fuel rods from atomic power plants, transmuted them into plutonium, and then had plutonium generation. It didn't make sense on a foreign policy level. We were trying to deal with all of the uh, leftover plutonium weapons from the Soviet Union uh, that had just broken up. That needed to be disposed of. Plutonium is intensely toxic, and there really wasn't any need, need for it. And it wasn't clear that the program would ever become economically feasible. Um, and I just I saw an opportunity there working with, with some people on the Energy and Commerce Committee. They sort of handed this to me and, and said, you are in the freshman class. There are all these people who don't have a position on this. This is a bad program. It should be shut down. And it took two years, but we got it shut down. Uh, I, I was, you know, opposed to big government, getting rid of government programs. And I took on the issue of trying to, in appropriations to get rid of some of these small programs. And it just blew my mind you couldn't get rid of these little $10 million programs that someone started and someone is still defending. You know, $10 million at the federal government level is petty cash. But one big issue I took on was uh, corporate welfare, and I took on the sugar program. There was just an editorial about it now in the paper this morning I read. The sugar program uh, has been in existence for a long time in our country, and it's, uh, it's based on what's called a tariff rate quota, but it's uh, subsidizing the sugar program. And I teamed up with Chuck Schumer, who is now the, the minority leader in the Senate, uh, and we had this great bipartisan support for this bill, and it just—it was easy as a conservative to oppose it. There's no reason you need a big government sugar program. That was easy. Environmentalists hated the program because it polluted the Everglades. Uh, consumer groups hated it because it cost more for food. I had the support of everybody from the soft drink food industry to the ice cream people, to, and it was an easy you know, one to understand from either the liberal perspective or the of the conservative perspective, and my best supporters were the most conservative and the most liberal people, and I still lost it. And it was, you know, it was, we came within five votes of winning it on a vote on the floor of the House, and five co-sponsors flipped their votes and voted against it that day. I think it was three Republicans and two Democrats, so it's not a partisan issue. And the money was just obscene. I mean, the PBS News show a couple months later did a story about the money that poured in that week. And when I retired from Congress, I said, Dan, we're sorry to see you leave. You're such a good fundraiser for us because the sugar people gave away so much money. So that was a frustration that I saw. I was unsuccessful getting rid of one program that's still in existence, and it drives everybody crazy on the you know liberal and conservative, but campaign money just 
you know, defeated us. If there was one thing that you could say, one message you could give to current Congress members or members of the federal government, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, Get along. <laughs> Get along. It's, you know, and I wish we could stand on principles more than just worrying about the the uh, voters in the primaries. Most members of Congress get elected in the primary, and the people that vote in primaries are the most liberal, the most conservative. And so nowadays, uh, in my district, is a Republican district. And so you had to be concerned about that far right wing of the party, not as much back when I was there as it is today. And so everybody's afraid to you know, tick off the Trump people or the Tea Party people on my party. And the same way on the Democratic side, if it's a Democratic district, you got to win that primary. And so the challenge is how do you represent some middle ground and not have to continue to worry about re-election and appeal to the base of each party? Uh, I'm going to talk about part the mechanics of the House. Um, there are kind of two ways to structure your life once you're elected. The first is you move your family to Washington and, and they're with you, and the second is you keep your family in the district and you fly home as soon as you can and then go back to Washington as late as you can. Um, and there's really no way to kind of square that circle. I had young kids, they were in school, I was in a tough uh, district that actually had you know, 15 points more Republicans registered than Democrats. I was Democrats, I was going back every weekend. Um, if you live, if you bring your family with you, you want work to end at five or six, so you can go home, you can go to see your kids' sports games or whatever, put them to bed. And you don't mind if it spills over to the next day. If your family's back home, you don't mind if we go till nine or 10, or 10 at night. In fact, you want that so that you can get out of there Thursday afternoon and get home. I mean, I was lucky, my house was about 15 minutes from the Phoenix airport, so if the last vote, was before 3 o'clock on Thursday, I could get the non-soft to Phoenix and I could be home before my kids went to sleep and help put them to bed. Um, they were 6, 4, and 1 at the time when I was elected. So, I mean, that was hugely important. What that meant, though, is you had two different universes and people reacting in different ways. If there was some way to kind of square that circle so that the House would stay in session for, say, 14 days straight, everybody would have to be in Washington. You just know if your family was there, you you know, you'd be working later or whatever, just so people can get to know each other as people. So much of what happens now is you're sitting in your office, you don't have to be on the floor, you can watch what's happening on C-SPAN. You don't get to know people as individuals. That's actually one of the best things about why I, I like doing these visits. And Dan and I need to get together in two years, whether in you or not. You know, it's, just, it's to be able to talk to people as individuals, learn who their family is. It's hard to, it's hard to caricature somebody that you know on a personal level. But the dynamics of politics, the fundraising, just the issue about where your family lives, um, and the dynamic is such that you will never you, you will never know more than a handful of people of the opposite party, and there needs to be some way to break that down. If people knew and worked with each other as individuals, then it really would mean something when you talk about the respect you have for your colleague. If it's just some person you know, you only pass in the night and you only know from the voting record, you're not going to react to them in the same way. And I think that would be the main thing. Just find some way to force people to deal with each other as individuals and then, then go out and legislate. Well, I want to thank you both for talking with us today. It was very insightful. And I hope that your visit's been excellent here at St. Bonaventure.
Well, I have been. Uh, the university and the students have been very impressive and been wonderful hosts. And for somebody from Florida, the bonus is I got to see snow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This has been Tap into Greater Olean.